Jesus was on earth about 12,000 days. He interacted in his personal ministry with sinners and saints for about 12, about 1,300 days. <clears throat> we have a record of between 52 and 60 of those 1,300 days, something he did on about 55 days. John's gospel account covers 30 days, one month of Jesus' life, not a consecutive month, but just 30 days when Jesus did some marvelous thing. Jesus interacted with about, there are records of Jesus' interactions with about 37 individuals in the four accounts of his life. And this afternoon, we're going to look at one of those individuals on three different occasions, on three different days of that period of his life, those 1,200 days. We're going to start in Luke 10. I invite your attention to Luke 10, beginning in 38. We're going to study about Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, in a little more detail than we were able to do this morning in the Bible class. We're going to pick up the story of Mary a little earlier. And what we have in this chapter is an introduction to the closest friends that Jesus had outside of the immediate circle of the disciples. In fact, as far as I can tell, there was no one on earth Jesus was closer to than Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he spent time in their home. They had private conversations with him. He worked one of his greatest miracles in their family, raising Lazarus from the dead. And we have three different photographs, if you will, of Mary. One is in Luke 10, one another in John 11, another in John 12. That will be a map of where we're going. And I'll go ahead and tell you what lessons I hope that we will all take from, from this hour. We see, every time we see Mary with Jesus, she is at His feet. She is bowed before Him. And on each occasion, there is a a different reason for her being at his feet. Now we're going to see in this first uh, example, she's at his feet to learn. In the second example, she's at his feet in grief. She's desiring comfort. And then the third example, she's at his feet in worship. She's desiring to be accepted of him. Now each of these has, a, has an application directly into the Christian life for, for all of us. Because those are three things that, are, that we're responsible for. Learning, remaining faithful in times of trial, and then offering Him our extravagant worship. Let's read together. What we're going to, the approach we're going to take is, is a simple one, but in each instance we're going to see what does the Bible say, what does it mean, how does it apply. And really every sermon does, covers those three ideas. So let's say what does the Bible say first. Let's read. These few verses beginning in Luke 10, 38. And it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. I hope that you're able to read the Bible visually so you see what's occurring here. That's what it says, but what does it mean? Well, let's picture this verse uh, on, on the screen of our minds. Here Jesus it says, now it came to pass as they went. Who's the they? That would be Jesus and the 12 apostles. Now imagine this house in Bethany, 
Uh, we find that she lived in Bethany in John 12. This house in Bethany, Bethany is uh, two miles outside of Jerusalem. It's still on the mountain of Zion. It's on the southeast side. And it was close enough that during the feast of Passover, for instance, all the feast days, the Jewish law allowed people to go out as far as Bethany to stay because there weren't enough beds or enough places to stay in the city proper on top of the mountain. So they extended the city limits uh, for, the, for the Passover, for the feast days, so that people could go out there. And we're going to see in our last instance that that's what's happening. It's, it's the time of Passover and they're in Bethany, but they're re really there to be, you know, for the festivities. But on this occasion, they're in Bethany on the side of the mountain beside Jerusalem, and Jesus and his apostles have been out doing what they did Oh, going to school, really, Jesus, the rabbi, was taking his students around, ministering to people, preaching the gospel, helping those who are in need. And they're watching, they're learning, they're asking, he's mentoring them. And they've come as far back as Bethany just to have a place to stay, to have a meal. Now, imagine your house and there's a knock on the door. Oh, Jesus is here. And all oh, the apostles are here. Uh, what's for supper? You know, you got 13 individuals here, hungry men. And Martha, you know, as any host would do or hostess, she's, uh, she gets in the kitchen. She gets busy. Now, they're all sitting in the living room, as we would say, as we think of it. Jesus is in there, and there's Peter, James, and John, Bartholomew, and Thaddeus, and, you know, all the apostles are. I don't know how big a house it was, but I would imagine it was pretty crowded. And Mary's in there with them. And Martha's in the kitchen. So let's read on. What does it say? So let's read the scripture. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet. So every time we're going to notice that phrase, sat at Jesus' feet. I've underlined those, ideas, those words in my Bible just to remind me that this is where you find Mary. She's sitting at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So picture that scene, a Bible class in her living room. I don't know if Jesus came with a lesson he wanted to give. Maybe she had asked a question or a series of questions, or maybe one of the other apostles were following, one of the apostles were following up on, uh, you know, what, what you said yesterday was this, but I didn't really catch that. Would you explain that? So they're all listening as Jesus is teaching the Bible class. And now verse, that's what does it mean? Now verse 40, but Martha was cumbered about much serving. You might say she was agitated. I can almost see how this is happening. Let's go and read the rest of the verse. We'll come back to it. And came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that... I'm going to try to read this as Mary might have said it. I don't know if I can quite get the tone but I'll try to imitate what I, how I imagine this happening. You do the same, but it says, uh, she, she comes in from the kitchen. I don't know if there's flour on her face and her hair's, you know, down, sweat, sweated, the sweat, sweaty hair glued to her face, and she's frustrated, and, you know, she... <clears throat> Lord, does thou not care that my sister... <laughs> Can you hear the, the octave higher? Can you feel the stress in the words? Hath left me alone, 
to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. There's some very interesting things about this. What does it mean? Whose house was it? It was her house. Who was Jesus? He was a guest. But anywhere Jesus was, he was the master. That implied authority is interesting there, isn't it? He's visiting her house, but she says to him, Would you bid my sister? Would you take over this situation? You're, you're, you're the boss. Would you send her into the kitchen to help me? Now, it's interesting, not only that she asked him, she doesn't even refer to her sister. I, I picture her not even looking at her. She's mad at her sister, you know. I can see her just before that in the kitchen, and she's doing this, and she's doing this, and she's trying to do this, and this is burning over here, and she's over, you know. She said, where's Mary? Where's Mary when you need her? She's out there. Can you believe she's sitting out there on the floor? I'm in here working my fingers to the bone, and she's doing nothing. I need her in here. And maybe she, you know, resists temptation for a minute, Maybe she says, no, I don't want to make a scene in front of Jesus. I'll just do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I shouldn't have to do all this by myself, but I'll do it. And then the more, finally she just puts down and walks in there, stamps in there, and says what we just read. But did you notice how she refers? The, the language? Let's read it again. Just I've, I've circled and connected three words here. Lord does... Well, not, I'll get to the three words momentarily. Let's read this phrase first. Lord, dost not thou care? There's accusation in those words. Jesus, don't you care about me? I mean, I'm in here working. I'm in here. Don't you care? That's the wrong person to ever ask. Don't you care? Oh, yes, he cares. We sing it. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting your care upon him, for he careth for you. There's never been another person who cared more about more people than Jesus. She had never been loved as much by any other person in her life than she had been loved and was being loved by Jesus at that moment because his capacity to love is greater than anybody else's. Yes, he cares. But he also cares about Mary equally and, every, and all the disciples and everybody else. How much does Jesus love you? He loves you as much as you can be loved that means he loves you equally to everybody else in the world. Because he loves everybody as much as he can love them. Now the three words. That my, a circled what, my, sister hath left me. To serve alone. Bid her therefore that she come help me. Those are personal pronouns. Where is her focus? Well, if you had asked her, her focus was on her guest. Jesus is here. But where was her focus? It was on herself. Me, my, me. You look in the times in your life, as I do in mine, when we're frustrated, where's our focus? It's always me, my, mine. It's not on he, him, and God. Because that's when frustrations melt, when we think about him. But when we focus on our own reserves, that's when they escalate. 
Now, you, what do you see on the apostles' face at this time? I mean, they've been in this Bible class with Jesus, you know, and Mary's there, and everybody's excited. Jesus is teaching, and, and then the door flies open, and in walks Mary, Martha, and Martha interrupts the class. I suppose there was some surprise on their faces. Wow, I've not seen this side of Martha before, <laughs> you know? Uh, okay, you know, there's a little bit of that awkwardness there. But Jesus is not caught off guard, was he ever? Verse 41, what does it say, what does it mean? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. You know, whenever you see Jesus repeated something, you better listen. <laughs> like, it's like when your mom went down all your names, you know, when you were in trouble. You know, first, middle, last day, you know, you, boy, boy, I did it now. <laughs> you know, Martha, Martha. It's just like when he said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired you to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you. Like that. Martha, Martha. It's for emphasis. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. Martha, you got a lot of worries. Your life is filled with too much. You're cumbered about. That means you're trying to carry too big a load. She came in there because she thought Mary was not doing what she was supposed to and that Martha was right. Mary was wrong. Jesus straightened Mary out for me, would you? But instead, Jesus straightens Martha out for her. No, I'm not going to talk to Mary. She's not the one who needs any advice right now, but... You need, you need some advice right now. You're cumbered about too many things. I want to think about that living room just for a minute. Um, I don't know how many years Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived after Jesus went back to heaven. I suppose they were probably about his age, maybe. I'm guessing. But let's just say that they lived another 25 years. How many times do you ever think one of them said, do you remember that day when Jesus stopped by? And the, right here in this room, all the apostles and our Lord sat right there. It was, I could see it like it was yesterday. And I remember that he taught, taught from the Bible about, and Mary was able to say, the subject. And Martha must have ducked her head and thought, I didn't hear that lesson. You see, she was, she was in the moment, but it was the wrong moment. She was in the moment in the kitchen. Now, I wonder how long those apostles remembered what the menu was for the dinner that she put before them that day. If you had asked them a week later, they probably could have told you. If you asked them a month later, maybe. But you asked them a year later. You remember when we went with Jesus to Martha's house? You remember she cooked for us? What she? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't really remember. You see, what was really important? Martha must have kicked herself so many times over those years because she missed an opportunity that she wouldn't have again. I mean, Jesus is back in heaven. She, she might have thought, oh, I would give anything 
if I could invite Jesus back into our house and I could hear his voice again, if I could just hear him teach the Bible again. You know, there was that opportunity right there, just on the other side of that kitchen door, and she was in there with the pots and the pans and the water and the corn and whatever it was she was cooking, and Jesus was in there teaching the Word of God. The next verse, what does it say? What does it mean? But, but one thing is needful, Jesus said. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. I'm not going to send her in the kitchen, Martha. She wants to be out here, and you know that's the best thing. What does that mean? Martha, why don't you sit down beside Mary? And we'll find something to eat later. The best part? You know, sometimes the choices that we make that are significant in our lives are not between bad and good. They're between good and better. In fact, for Christians, the, the good and the bad choices are not hard. I mean, we may be pulled toward the wrong or the sin, but, but really we, we don't struggle with those as much as we struggle with the good between good and better. And is it, is it, would it be wrong to work overtime and have a little more money to support my family? No, that, might be, that would be good. But would that be better than attending the gospel meeting this week or the Wednesday night Bible class? You know, it's between good and, and better. Martha chose good, but Mary chose, chose better. You can write in your Bible here if you don't have it printed there, Psalm 27 Four, which says this, this one thing have I desire to be. You know it's good to simplify life down to one thing. The psalmist says, I want to dwell in the house of my Lord forever. That's my one thing in life, is I want to go to heaven. It seems like Mary had figured out her one thing in life. Martha had a lot of things. She's cumbered Mary had one thing. Teach me, Jesus. I want to learn. Now let's make the application and we'll move on. <clears throat> we, we sometimes come down on Martha pretty hard. And, and as we've noticed, on this occasion, she had not made the best choice. But Martha was a good person. And there is a place for serving in the Lord's kingdom, isn't there? I mean, it's a good thing to fix a meal for 13 preachers, right? It's a good thing to bring, bring food to the fellowship meal, you know. Um, it's, well, you can't really be a Christian unless you serve. What was it Jesus taught in John 13 when he washed the, the disciples' feet? Do you understand what I've done to, to you? He said, I left you an example that you should serve each other, that you should not be ashamed to do the, men, the menial task. So service is good. Worship is better. Service is good. Learning is better. And maybe not, maybe it's not so much better as in the right proportions and at the right occasions. Let's move to our second one. Go with me to John 11. Let's see Mary at Jesus' feet a second time. This is not a good day in Mary's life. It's a very bad day. Lazarus got sick, and when he got sick, they immediately 
sent for Jesus. Jesus is teaching somewhere away. He's not anywhere near Bethany. But they know where he is, and so they send somebody to go tell, go tell Jesus. And I find this so interesting. This is uh, John 11, verse 3. Uh, verse 1 says he was sick. Verse 2 says, well, we'll get back to that in a minute. Verse 3 says, Therefore his sister sent it to him, saying, Lord, behold, he that loves you is sick. If you're reading along with me, you just thought, he said, well, he didn't memorize that correctly. I said that wrong because I wanted to make the point. It would be true, no doubt, Lazarus loved Jesus, but that's not what this verse says. He whom thou lovest is sick. There's just a warmth in that phrase. They knew Jesus loved their brother. And they could think, could think of no better way to express their desire for him to come and no better way to motivate him to come than to remind him that he loved Lazarus. He, he wouldn't want him to die. He wouldn't want him to, you know, to suffer. And What's interesting, though, is that Jesus didn't drop everything and go straight there. He waited two days. In the meantime, Lazarus died. Maybe he was already dead by the time they found Jesus because he had been dead four days by the time Jesus gets there. I don't know how many days' journey he was away. But anyway, about that time Lazarus died. Or maybe during the interim while Jesus delayed. And don't you know back, back at Martha's house, Mary and Martha are wringing their hands. They're watching down the road. They're, Where is Jesus? We called for him yesterday. He should be here by now. And then he... He didn't get there all that day. And the next day, it's like, where's Jesus? He's got to get here. Lazarus is, oh, no, it's too late. Oh, no. Oh, Lazarus. He's dead. Jesus let us down. And when, they, when Jesus finally gets there, he doesn't come all the way into town and all the way into the house. He's outside the city. And they, no doubt he wanted to have a private conversation with them before he, they were, there was a lot of people there because the mourners were all there. So Martha comes out. There's, this, there's a tinge of accusation, maybe more than a tinge, when she says, and I think it's verse um, 21, Lord, if thou hadst been here, our brother had not died. Wish you had got here sooner, Jesus. It's too late now. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus talks to her about the resurrection. Yeah, I know there's a resurrection. I mean, I, I'm paraphrasing. I'm, I, I'm interpreting. Yeah, I know there's a resurrection. We'll see him again. But it wasn't a whole lot of comfort, it seems to me, right then. You know, yeah, we'll see him in heaven, but I miss him right here, right now on earth. Now, Jesus knew what he was about to do. He knew that there was going to be a resurrection before the general resurrection. There was going to be a specific resurrection of Lazarus. You know, he's going to go out to that cemetery, roll back the stone. Lord, he stinks by now. Roll back the stone. Lazarus, come forth. You know, you've probably heard Brother Keeble used to say, it's a good thing he said Lazarus, everybody in the cemetery would have got up, you know. He said Lazarus. 
And one day everybody in the cemetery will get up because there will be a general resurrection. John 5, 28 and 29. VP Black used to say that cemetery over there is going to look like a plowed field. You know, everybody's coming up. But this day was just one, just Lazarus. And he walked out of his, I don't really know, he was wrapped in the grave clothes and somehow he got out, but they had, Jesus said, unloose him and let him go. You know, you're going to have to unravel him so he can, so he can move. Anyway, that's coming. That's what Jesus talked about. But Martha's thinking and, you know, well, yeah, he's going to be resurrected. I know I'll see him again. That's comforting, but I miss him right now. Well, then Jesus says, well, send Mary out. So Martha goes back in and says, he calls for you. So Mary goes out. She's crying. She says the same thing Martha said. I guess they had had this conversation, right? Master, if you'd been here, a brother hadn't died. Let's read that together in verse uh, 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. So underline those three words again. Saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And so Jesus weep. You know, this is where Jesus weeps. The shortest verse of the English Bible. Jesus wept, verse 35. He groaned in spirit. Where have you laid him? And they saw in Jesus' tears his love for Lazarus, verse 36. How he loved him. And then Jesus, take away the stone, all that I just went over. And he speaks and Lazarus comes forth, 43, 44. All right, but I want to go back to this and make the application. Then we'll move on to our last point. Where do I see myself in this story? You know, it's good to know the Bible academically. It's good to be able to quote scriptures. It's good to be able to connect the verses exegetically. But it really, is, it really gets real when I see myself in there. When I say, oh, I've been there before. Or when I get there, oh, this is, this is like John 11. Because the word is a light under our feet, a lamp under our pathway. It, the word is, is to comfort us, Romans 15, 4. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's Psalm 119, 11. Have you thought about that verse before? The, the, thy word, that's the best book. Have I hid in my heart, that's the best place. That I might not sin against thee, that's the best purpose. In one verse. And so I, I take the words that I study over the years and I commit the lessons and some of the words and I, I have it in my head so that when that moment comes, I'm ready for it. When Jesus was tempted, Matthew 4, Luke 4, he said it is written. He didn't have to say, I know there's a verse somewhere that says something about this. <laughs> he knew, and he quoted Deuteronomy three times every time the devil came with the temptation. He had the appropriate scripture to answer it, so he had been in the book. And so when the devil tempts, comes to tempt me, do I have the scripture not somewhere in a Bible, somewhere in my notes. I know I, I had that one time. I heard a sermon about that. No, I have it in my heart so that I can say to the devil, be gone, for the scripture says. Well, here you have Mary and Martha and their story recorded in the Bible so that we can internalize this. We can store it back. And then when our brother dies, or mother, or friend, we can say, oh, John 11. See, we come to Jesus, we sit at Jesus' feet to learn, 
And then we sit at Jesus' feet when we hurt. There are things that hurt us. Grief is one of them. Loss of loved ones is a, is a hard kind of grief to endure. But there are others. You may hurt because of a relationship that doesn't involve death. You may, you may be hurting because of some other loss in your life, that you're grieving the loss of a job or the loss of health or the loss of a friendship. Or well, There's a lot of losses that we endure. And sometimes we stoically endure them and others don't even know they're there, but we know they're there. And in the quiet of the night, our, tears so, uh, our pillows soak our tears. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. Does Jesus know? Oh, yes, he knows. I might not confide it even to my spouse. I might not feel like I can talk to my best friend about it. I might not feel like it's something that elders need to be bothered with. But I hurt. And you know, there are times in life that there's a blow that strikes us that has the, the capacity to turn us away from God. You know, the devil has two main ways he tries to pull us or to take us from God. One is, is to allure us as temptation. Ooh, that, mm, that, that would be good. That would be pleasurable. That would, oh boy. Maybe just a little taste wouldn't be. So we're step, you see, I was just step, stepped away from, took a step away from Christ instead of a step toward him. And then before long, another step. And another, like the sheep that wanders away and I got my head in the grass and next thing I look up and, well, where are all the other sheep? Where's the shepherd? I've wandered away. I didn't intend to be here. That's one way he gets us. And in your mind right now, you probably know somebody that used to sit in one of these pews or pews wherever you normally are. Yeah, I know, about, I, I can tell you a story about that. But let me tell you the other one. If he can't get you with a bucket of temptations, he might just get you with a bat of suffering. And he can lure us or he can drive us. When that day comes, fall at Jesus' feet. Tenaciously remain near to the only source of ultimate comfort and strength. That's our application. Let's go to the third one. And uh, we won't have to talk about this one as much because we already discussed some of it this morning. But I will touch on it because we're reading it from John this time and we read from Mark this morning. But let's look at the third time. She's at Jesus' feet. And this is um, John 12, Martha made a supper again. And notice she's not criticized this time. She doesn't get exercised this time. Maybe she's learned her lesson. That's verse 2. Lazarus is sitting there and he was the one that was dead, but now he's alive and he's eating at the table. And some people come to meet Jesus, but other people come because they want to see Lazarus. He's, he's a novelty. That's the guy that used to be dead. <laughs> That's the guy who, I went to his funeral. I tell you, but there he's alive. Would you look at him? He didn't look so bad for a man who was dead for four days, you know? Well, we, we covered verse 3 this morning. Except for in Mark's account, she poured it on his head 
in this account she pours it on his feet. Somebody says, well, there's a mistake in the Bible. That's not a mistake. A contradiction means two things cannot occur. They both cannot be true. Is it possible she poured it on his head, part of it on his head, and then she poured the rest of it on his feet? Is it possible that she saw his feet were, well, look, I'm, I've made a mess with his feet. Would you look at that? He's got dust on his feet. Now I've got all that. Ooh, that's, maybe she looked around for a, a towel and there wasn't one. And so she undoes her hair. Now a Jewish, a married Jewish female would never do that. I don't know if Mar Mira was married, but if she were married, she would never do this. And I suppose a woman of her station and her age would not do this because girls let their hair down, but women did not. And if you saw a woman in public with her hair down, you would assume that she was a woman of low reputation. Sold her body to men. But Mary undoes it, gets down, and she wipes his dirty feet with her hair. Can you imagine being at that table? What's she doing? I can't believe this. Wow. Well, I'm not going to read anymore. I just skipped to the application. We'll be, we'll be, in, we'll be done. But <clears throat> not only did she put herself at Jesus' feet, she put her reputation at his feet. Everything that she had was represented in that act. Lord, you have my riches. This was my inheritance, most likely. But I'd rather you have it. It's, I'll never think of anything I could ever use this for that, that would be better than anointing you with it. Son of God, who's about to die. You deserve it more than me. You have it. So she gives him $20,000 worth of ointment. Maybe she didn't even consider how embarrassing this situation was, but maybe she did and she didn't care. Why don't I talk to my friend about the gospel? Well, it'll be awkward and I don't really know how they'll take it. And besides, they might not want to be my friend anymore if it goes sideways and Does Jesus really have all of me? Or does he have as much of me as is comfortable for me to give him? So the three lessons. Mary was at Jesus' feet to learn. Mary came to Jesus' feet in her struggles. Mary was at Jesus' feet to worship. And those are three vital components of my relationship with the Lord. And maybe there's something in those three that I can take with me this week and, and ponder and figure out applications that apply in my own personal relationship with the Lord. If you want to use a songbook, you can go ahead and take it out. Maybe you'll be using the screen, but we're going to extend the Lord's invitation here. And this is the most important part of any service. Now, it might not be to you, if you're right with God, then your personal interest in this part of the lesson will not be as much as has been in the lesson that we just covered. But if you're not right with God, this is the most important part of the lesson because we encourage, motivate, urge people to receive the gospel, which means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. 
Luke 9, 23. In order to initially become a disciple of Jesus, a learner, a follower, a Christian, one must hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Where are you on that list of requirements? Acts 8, 35 to 40. Maybe, maybe you've got the first two. You say, I've heard the gospel. I believe in Jesus. Maybe you're at repentance. Why not press on past that? That means to turn away from sin. You, you can make a decision about that and, and should. Sin's never going to do anything good for you. It's only going to lead you away from your best self and away from heaven. Luke 13, 3, I tell you, neighbor, except you repent, you all likewise perish, so that we don't want that end. So repent, turn away from sin. Confess Jesus and be immersed in... Well, maybe you're all the way over here already. You say, I, I tell people uh, I believe in Jesus. I'm not ashamed of that. Have you ever been baptized? Well, not yet, but I intend to be. So why not today? Why not today? You could be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins upon confession of faith in Jesus, the Son of God. You could leave this building with a new name, Christian. A new allegiance, Christ. A new hope, heaven. If you haven't been a faithful Christian, you say, Preacher, you've covered a lot of verses today. I've been thinking about a lot of different things uh, all weekend and today, and I just I want, I want to be sure. I want my life to be right with no doubts. Let your, make your calling and election sure, Peter says, 2 Peter 1, 8 through 10, or, or 5, two, 5 through 10. It may be that that's your desire, and if it is, you're welcome to come. We'll stand while we sing.